You are listening to the sermons of Country Gospel Cowboy Church with Pastor Johnny Lee. Country Gospel Cowboy Church meets in a one-room schoolhouse at 12257 Highway 60 in Millican, Colorado. All right, if I can get my men to come up here, we'll start this worship with prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great day you've given us, Father. It's what, a, what a glorious time it is to be here and uh, just anticipate the best is yet to come. And Father, we just praise you for all that you're doing in this church. Thank you for the, the, just the excitement in your people and knowing that we're, you're moving us to a higher place and we're going to be able to witness, we're going to be able to Tell people, more people about Jesus. Father, thank you so much for that opportunity. Thank you for the privilege of serving you. Thank you, Father, for these that are here this morning. And I pray, Father, that sometime today we could witness to others about Jesus. And Father, I pray for this message. I pray that you'd take this service and use it as you will. Pierce the hearts that need pierced. And Father, to change lives. As they come in, they'll not be the same when they leave. And we owe it all to Jesus in his name. Amen. John 4. How many of you believe this right here? Just believing changes your whole life. Look in chapter 4. John chapter 4. There's not a person here this morning that has not at some point faced some kind of difficulty. We all do that, challenge or adversity, where the choices were few and the solutions were a little difficult to make. And sometimes those adversities can be handled with hard work, and sometimes it takes a little creativity. And then sometimes neither hard work nor creativity it gives you anywhere. So you just have to, to get through, and it... And to get through, it takes an act of God to get you through. Booker T. Washington was a man who believed in hard work. He was born a plantation slave. As a child, he carried the books of his master's children to school. But Washington loved to learn. He wasn't allowed to own books or to attend places of higher learning, so he became a self-educated man. And it was only through hard work he became a wealthy landowner, the founder of an institution, an advisor to two United States presidents, Theodore Roosevelt and William Howard Taft, and a man who influenced a lot of people. And uh, he was one of the most significant African Americans in the history of the United States. He was a hardworking man who found that to get through life's adversities, it sometimes, sometimes takes a lot of hard work. Then there are other times where it takes more than just hard work, it takes creativity. There's a, there's a story about Dale Galloway told in his book, Dream a New Dream. It involved a man who owned a little, little store back east. And in his store, he sold some groceries and pharmaceuticals and notion needs and stuff. He had a good business till Urban Renewal moved in and threatened his business. As bulldozers came in, they started knocking down things and replacing small things with big places. They took out all the old buildings. 
And on his right in their place was a really big grocery store. And on the left, the bulldozers knocked down some homes and a discount store was built where people could buy more than for less. It's probably Wally World. <laughs> so the man went home and he was really discouraged, knowing that there was no way his business would be seen in the shadow of all those big places. So he got this idea and he spent his savings on a sign. It was a, as big as this store was. And he would have the finest company in town to make it. The sign had only three words on it. But those three words revolutionized his business. And that bright, bold sign read, Main Entrance Here. Sometimes it takes hard work. Sometimes it takes creativity. And then sometimes it takes an act of God. And that's where the man in John 4, 43, 54 is. Read it with me. Starting in verse 43. After the two days he went forth from there into Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his, home, in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and there was a royal office, official whose son was sick at, at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea in Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. And the royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go your way, uh, go your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the hour which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This is, again, a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Um, Sometimes no amount of work is going to get your problem solved. Isn't that true? This man could not create anything that would get his problem solved. His problem was beyond his control and beyond everything that he could do. His problem relied on God's action. So he needed God to act. So... First, we need to go to God with our problems. But we need to go to God for more than just your problems. So many people only want God as a problem solver. God, if you'll just get me out of this problem. God, if you'll just heal this person. God, if you'll just get me that job or that relationship. And here's the good news. God answers prayer. He answers prayer. But if who God is means less to you than what he can do for you, then you've missed the message entirely. John 4, 30, 43, 44, after two days he departed for Galilee for he himself to testify that no prophet is be honored in his hometown. 
He pretty well proved that, didn't he? Nobody, they'd been in Samaria, they received him. They not only received him, they believed he was a savior, but in Galilee, the people were more interested in his miracles than his mission, or who he even was. He said in 23, Luke 4, 23, 24, listen. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote me this, to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your own hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. They're looking for miracles, but they didn't look for the Savior. They didn't know who Jesus really was. In other words, they're telling him, Jesus, stop the preaching, get to the healing. How many of us are like that? I don't want to go to church, but I, when I get in trouble, I want you to heal me. We aren't interested in who you are. We just want to be entertained with the things you can do. And that's what we see in John 4, 45. It says, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done, Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone there. So we look back, we're back at Cana where the wedding took place, so we've come full circle. The purpose of the first miracle in Cana was so the disciples might believe. He went to Jerusalem, cleansed the temple, did miracles there. People believed, but it wasn't a saving faith. Isn't it amazing how you can watch a miracle in front of your very own eyes and still don't believe? It's amazing. How stupid are we that we can see miracles performed and we have no faith? The next time we just tremble and shudder and fear that God's not going to take care of us. Isn't that ridiculous? The people in Jerusalem were curious about the miracles, but they were fickle in their faith which shows us miracles doesn't necessarily lead to saving faith. Guys, if that were true, if that were not true, look at all those people standing before the Red Sea and Moses pointed his staff at it and it parted. The wind blew, the ground was dry, they didn't even have to walk in mud and they went across the Red Sea. They got on the other side, saw massive things that God did for them, and said, let's build an idol. How stupid is people? Let's build an idol so we can worship. <coughs> Duh. What, this little G God can never take God's place. Never. It's just crazy how people react. The Samaritans believe without seeing miracles. 46, so he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. The word for official is basilikos, from the root word for king. So this is an official of the king, or a royal office, officer. It's probably an official of Herod Agrippa, who ruled Galilee. This official was a man of wealth, power, and influence. <laughs> didn't help his son, did it? All of his wealth, power, and influence didn't help his son a bit. His son was very sick. He was at the point of death. And the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. You know, scholars estimate that at the time in history, of this particular time in history, that 50% of the children lived to age five. That's it. 
So it was a kind of a desperate situation here. Jesus was at Cana, so this royal official came to Capernaum, which was about 16 miles away. And when the man heard that Jesus came from Judea, Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. If you're a parent who's been through the trauma of having one of your kids critically ill, you know the feeling that this man had. All the money in the world is little value. You could be a king and not help your child. The savings, the business, your house, you'd trade it all for your children's health. Is that not so? You would trade it all for the health of your child. The power, the prestige, the influence, they all just dwindle in significance of the health of your child. When it says in verse 47, he went to him and was imploring him, he didn't just ask once. He repeatedly begged. Imploring means to repeat and repeat and beg. He, this man was desperate. So Jesus said to him in 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Does that seem a little harsh that Jesus would say that? Well, I want, let me point out a few things. First, his response is very similar to what he told his own mama when she was, at, when she was uh, in Cana at the wedding. In 2, 3, 4, John 2, 3, 4, it says, When the time, wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? I don't know about you guys, but if I told my mama that, she'd have slapped me across the room. But Jesus got away with it because it, he could do that and not get slapped. Well, look how she responded. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. It's pretty point blank, isn't it? Do whatever he tells you. Did she have faith in her son? Mm -hmm. Do whatever he tells you. Could we tell you that this morning? Do whatever he tells you. You're going to be happier if you do that. She wasn't offended. She saw a yes in his no. If you're waiting on God for an answer to your particular situation this morning, and I know some of you out there has situations, can you see a yes in his no? Can you trust him? Second thing, Jesus is not only talking to the man, there's a crowd here. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The you here is plural. It isn't just directed at one man. It's directed to the crowd. Other translations have you people. Okay? And your, yours might have you people there. Third, Jesus wants to do more in your life than just answer your current request. If you get one answered, how about tomorrow? Is he the same Jesus for you tomorrow as he was today, if he answered your question today? Meeting your need is important, but if God heals you and you go to hell because you never understood he's the Savior, then what good was the miracle? What good was the miracle? Had nothing to do with being a Savior unless you accept him as Savior. 
if God meets our needs and we never really come to know him as Lord, as Savior, as a friend, then we've missed it. We need to go to God with our problems, but go to God for more than your problems. Go to him as father of your life, of your very being. He is more than a, a miracle worker. He is our Savior, our Lord, our Creator. How could we not bow down before Him and realize that? But some people refuse to. They just don't. Next thing we need to do is believe God's Word and not our worries. Could I get an amen from that? The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. You think he was concerned about his kid? Yes. And he pleaded that Jesus come down. Now, catch this. He was expecting Jesus to come and lay hands on his son. He preconceived the idea how Jesus is going to do it. You ever been there? You're, you just already figured out what Jesus needs to do for your life. And if it doesn't happen that way, you just, whoa, well, I must not have had enough faith. Isn't that true? But he's working to meet your need. It's not maybe your way. It's his way to meet your need. Jesus, this is what I need, and this is how I need, and you need to do it. That's more or less what we ask of him. I need you to stop this, start that, go here, and have them to go there. Isn't that true? Because if he doesn't do everything exactly our way, we don't think he's working in our life. But guys, he works in a different manner entirely than what you think he does. Because we don't understand God not only works in your life, he works in everyone that surrounds you to make it happen. And he's just a concern about those that are around you as you. So he makes everything fold in together to be perfect. That's his perfect will for our lives. It's not just concerning you. It's concerning everyone that you're surrounded with. We have a wonderful plan all mapped out in our mind as to how God should work. Isn't that sweet? But God's got a different picture. He's got a different goal set. This, that's this man. Jesus, if you're there with my son, my son will be healed. And look what Jesus tells him. He said to him, go, your son will live. He didn't have to be there. <laughs> Remember, guys, Jesus was there at the creation. He created things by speaking it into existence, by thinking about the existence of it, it was there. So it's no wonder that he said, you just going home, everything will be cool. He'll be okay. He's not going to walk the 16 miles to Capernaum. He's not going to work in this man's situation the way this man visualized it. He has a, he has a plan that is totally different than ours. At, that, at this point, the man was faced with a huge decision here. Jesus had given the man his word, so now the question for this man is, will you believe Jesus or not? 
Jesus says, I'll meet your need. Write that down somewhere. Write that in your heart. Jesus said, I will meet your need, Christian, child of mine. It's not that he gives you everything you want because some things you want are really not good for you. Isn't that true? It's not for you. So he will meet your needs. That's what he promises us. But Lord, I need a sign. But Lord, I need you to do it this way. But Lord, I, I have to see you working, then I'll believe. The biggest issue we face is not whether or not God is able or if he's willing. The biggest issue we face is whether or not we believe it. We know he's willing. We know he's able. But guys, you can put a stop to that if you have no faith in him. He's not going to do anything for you unless you believe he's going to do it. Did you know that? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. A lot of folks miss out on God's miracles because they just don't believe. They're not going to accept it. They won't take God at his word. They have more faith in the worries than they do in God's word. How many of you worry and, men, and instantly go to this? Nobody? That's what I thought. Why not? When you worry about something, get in the truth and see what God says about it. Guys, let me tell you something. If you worry, you are sinning against the Lord. Did you know that? When you're worrying, that means that you're trusting worry over God. That's not what he wants for us. Worry means I can't trust the Lord to meet my need. Are we guilty of that? We're all guilty of that because we all worry. And when you get to the point where you worry until you're sick, no wonder that's totally opposite of what God calls for his children. Totally opposite. You worry because you choose to worry. You worry because you choose to worry. And did you know that 90% of your worry comes to no fruition, no completion? It all dissolves before it ever makes trouble. God is the author of that. He takes care of that. And then don't you feel stupid when you get to the point where the worry is no more because everything's taken care of and you worried for nothing? Isn't that true? Why do we do that when we have a faithful father that takes care of all our needs? I could preach here up to here till I'm blue in the face and you guys are still going to go home and worry. <laughs> Did you know that? Don't do that. Trust God. That's what he's for. He, we put all our inhibitions, we put all of our anxieties, we put all of our worry in him. And he takes care of that. Amen? Okay. If you amen that, I'm going to go right on then. He took Jesus at his word and went on his way. I love that. 
you read that and you'd think that he immediately headed back to Capernaum. That would be the normal response, wouldn't it? If you had a child near death in Milliken and you heard Jesus was in Denver and he told you that your child would live, you'd jump in the car and head back to Milliken, right? But that's not what this man did. In 53, he says, this, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them in the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that that was the hour exactly when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. He went on his way. He didn't go home until the next day. It was one o'clock in the afternoon when Jesus spoke with him. He could have gotten on his donkey and gone home or his Harley Davidson, whichever came first. But he didn't because he believed God's word and not his worries. Isn't that amazing? You know who this guy was? He was a wealthy official, and he believed the servant that God sent, Jesus. He was trusting in the promise of God that God would keep his word. Third, make your faith a family priority. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed, and all his household. Isn't it amazing how faith just overflows to others when you show it? When you exuberate in faith and knowing what God is doing in your life, and you're spreading that love out to others, they catch it. They catch it, and they put it in their hearts, and they live the same way because God has willed it so. Guys, don't keep that exuberance to yourself. When you see a miracle of God, tell others about it so that it's catching, especially in your own, own household. The man was walking by faith. It affected everyone else in his home. Is that how it works in your home, moms and dads? Is that how it works in your home? Do your kids see your faith in action? Do they see God as the number one priority in your life? Not just on Sundays, but on Tuesday evening when you lose your cool <laughs> and you want to slap something, maybe the husband or the dog. Do you apologize for that? Do you make it, make it your, your uh, goal to be the first to apologize to your spouse? I'm going to work on that myself. I am. Do they see you loving your spouse? I told Janet, I said, don't feel inhibited to give me a hug or a kiss in church because we're going to set examples for this church to love their spouse. They, you guys need to love one another. And don't be intimidated. If you want to kiss your spouse, I'll tell you what, just kiss your spouse right now for me, would you? Would you do that? Would you kiss your spouse right now? Oh, bless your heart. Now, don't you guys kiss anybody that you don't know. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble up here. Does your, does your family see you read your Bible? Do they hear you pray? Can, can they bring you a spiritual question? You need to ask yourself this. 
This dad didn't let his kids figure spiritual things about him. He told them about it. He had a living faith, and it spread to the rest of his household. He believed, and everything changed. I pray that prayer for you. I pray that you believe not on your own worries, but on what God can do with your situation. We need to go to God with our problems, but we need to go to God for more than our problems. Believe God's word, not your worries. Make your faith a family priority by the way you live. Amen? Let's stand. All sermons from Country Gospel Cowboy Church are available to listen and download at countrygospelcowboychurch.org or on iTunes for Apple devices, Podcast Republic for Android and Kindle devices, and SoundCloud. We would love to have you join to worship. Service begins at 10 a.m. on Sunday or join us for Bible study at 6.30 on Wednesday.